Welcome back to Mill Liberty, the voice of liberty for a new generation. I am your host, Caleb Franz, and we are joined today by Charlie Kirk. He is the uh, founder and executive director of Turning Point USA. Charlie, how's it going? It's going well. Uh, thank you, Caleb, and thank you for having me, and a uh, big supporter of what you're doing here. Thank you and, very much. And uh, glad to have you know, worked with you on many things, and um, I agree with you on a lot, and I'm just happy to see this this going, and happy to help a little way we can. Well, we're we're very pleased to have you here today. Um, I I know that uh, you know Turning Point is is an organization that um, works a lot on college campuses, and it really engages with with young people. Um, and I find that one of the problems on campuses is that. A lot of a lot of college age students, you know, their big issue is student loans right now, um, because they've racked up so much debt that they can't seem to pay off, and because of that, someone like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren is taking the issue of student loans and just completely running with it. They are the the voices that that young people look up to um, whenever. Whenever you think of student loans, and conservatives have kind of dropped the ball on it. That's right. Conservatives and libertarians both. I can can you tell me not just um, what uh, a solution is, a a practical uh, free market based solution to address to the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren type, but also why do you think that the right has been afraid almost to, to tackle this topic? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Thank you. And um, look, I, I've complained many times that you know Senator Sanders and Senator Warren have just dominated the student loan conversation. It doesn't have to be that way. Why, why can the, only the left talk about the cost of college and student mm -hmm. loans and the rising price of tuition? You know, no political party should ever have a monopoly on an issue. Same goes to with African Americans and Latino voters. Sure. And so I think we as conservatives and we as young freedom believers, libertarians, all all you know, friends of the cause we call them, um, should unite together and to understand that hey, we have an opportunity here to engage the next generation. You look at the average student loan debt in this country; it's nearly thirty-two thousand dollars per borrower. Unbelievable the amount of debt that is being accrued by the next generation, and it's immoral. It's not sustainable. It's wrong, and really it gives. Um, it gives us, a, us as young people an opportunity to win over converts because big government policies have created the student loan crisis and it's inarguable. This is a slam dunk issue for us that for one reason or the other, it's just the only left talks about it, but they're the ones that have created it. I mean, it's like they create this problem to come say we might be able to fix it, but vote for us and keep it, we'll keep you mildly dependent on us and heavily dependent on us. And one day we might get back to you with some form of just a little bit of, you know, easing of the pain instead of actually solving the problem. It, it, it points um, really at symptoms and not and not the root cause of. That's right. Of of a lot of the a lot of the problems. And what do you see that the free market uh, based solutions um, would fix student loan debt? Oh, yeah, yeah. And I think I think you have to talk about fairness, right? So. 
um, fairness in the free markets and all this, and mm-hmm. not fair, fairness in the left left wing. Right, of course, right? actual but fairness, actual fairness, yeah. which is the you know if you, quality of of opportunity. Right, if you trade, if you uh, produce something, you should be paid for it, and you will in the free market. There's mm-hmm. no way you won't be because if you're not getting paid for it, what you've created is no good. Uh, so look, the student loan bubble. There's so many different you know, facets to this. There's so many different complexities, but the one that I think that is most lacking is how the government has distorted the price system. You know, you and I both understand Milton Friedman, Adam Smith talked a lot, and Adam Smith didn't articulate it as much because he was still just doing observation. But Milton Friedman really dove deep into what the price system really is, and prices are the way people communicate with each other. It's actually a language, it's a signaling, and, and how the government has totally distorted the price system through inserting trillions of dollars of subsidized student loans into an already broken system that wasn't graduating students, not preparing them for, you know, not preparing them for the workforce. But the government pumped in trillions of dollars of cheap money uh, to help subsidize the cost of college, and therefore, what you have is kind of this third-party payer. It's where, it's where healthcare is going to be in about ten years, where student loans is right now, where you have no one's actually paying the cost; someone else's. Um, when eventually it gets back to the individual little guy that has to pay it, the student or the family that is surrounding them. And so, because of that, you know, the federal government that's pumped in all this money, and the colleges say, "Well, why don't we just raise tuition? You know, we're not going to get any sort of recourse. We're not going to get any." you know, sort of penalty, and we'll raise tuition, raise tuition, raise tuition, because the federal money is going to keep on... Something always has to give, and it's inevitably going to always fall back on the, the people who can't pay for it, or who That's right. can't... It's just like minimum wage in that sense. Precisely. Um, where even at, at some point, something has to give, It's and they're not going to take the money out of their own pockets. It's, it's going to go through either um, at, at the cost of the worker or at the cost of of the consumer. Right. And and I, I think, you know, us as free market guys have to understand that the solution is just going to get government out of this thing. I mean, anything government touches, it gets more expensive, the quality goes down, and less people have access to it, no matter what it is. And when governments try to fix a problem, they create another one, <laughs> you know? Isn't, isn't that interesting how that works? It's, it's, it's like it fixes one, and then it creates, like, three. It doesn't even fix it. It's just like they pretend to fix right. it. They run for re-election, and they create, like, they spawns of problems. on it or yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah. Their problem has more problems, and they have children of problems. It's right. just a disaster. So what I, what, I think, what I think goes unnoticed in this whole argument is how the power of the free market has been able to bring down the cost of so many other aspects of our life transportation, access to information, technology, and yet we just ignore the plethora of evidence of the free market working when it comes to education. The same can go for healthcare, but education in particular. Education costs should be going down. Everything tells us education should go down. Why is it costing more each year? It doesn't make any sense. It's worse year after year. Less people are graduating year after year. No one's getting prepared year after year, more prepared. And yet the lecture hall sizes are increasing, yet it's, the cost is going up. That shows you that market forces are not at work and that something is completely distorted and we know that to be true. And that's quite the contrast for something like, for example, uh, Uber or exactly right. Airbnb. Or Netflix that broke or the back Netflix, Blockbuster. Absolutely, right? yeah. Yeah, I remember I remember when there were blockbuster, uh, blockbuster stores everywhere yeah. and I would always go there and just grab a movie for the weekend sure. to watch. Or Amazon that's breaking the back of the big box uh, retailers. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Which, which, is, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, economic progress. It's creative destruction. Right, of course it is, and it's disruption. You know, I mean, look, I don't think anybody I've ever met in my life has made a career out of lighting street light candles in the streets. Mm-hmm. That used to be a job. You'd go, you'd get there every night at 4:30 p.m. right away as the sun sets. You'd go light the candles on all the street lights because that was an important thing to do. 
And you know, I don't think that the candlestick makers are a, really a, a career right now for people in central Ohio. What, what, what's the point of getting at here is that some jobs will go away, some things will improve, that's okay. And higher education needs the ultimate disruption. It is one of the fundamental problems in our society. Um, and of course, as we all know, that one of the one of the issues in, in higher education is that um, it's becoming increasingly less tolerant and less accepting of opposing opinions. That's right. Um, and to the point to where you have many many universities all across the country saying, if you want to speak freely about your issue or your topic or your cause, then you can go in this area. That's right. Um, free speech zone. Exactly. This, this little zone, this free speech zone, which obviously is completely unconstitutional. Um, how do you see that the greatest way to combat free speech zones or the like um, in, a, in a culture where Many young people have been coddled to think that this is just the norm. This is acceptable now. How do you see that that the greatest way to fight back against against this the censorship of, of young people? Yeah, sure. So I, I think uh, you know here at the Winter West Palm Beach Summit, I, I think Senator Sass said it really well today. Where you know less speech is never the answer. More ideas, more perspective, more ways of looking at things. I think is a good thing. It needs to be encouraged. Um, and we should tell young people that you know we have a saying at Turning Point USA where. We say, we will fight to the death for a socialist, for the right. We will fight for the death, fight to our death for a socialist to make a fool of themselves. Essentially, like, we'll fight for a socialist to have free speech. They should have free speech rights. I mean, it only makes sense. Wouldn't you want to know who the crazy people are, exactly. you know, in, in your room, don't in your campus? Or... Math and logic and statistics and history and logic and... All these things, I want to know who those people are. Of course, are. of course I would. If and, and if it is about, you know, hate speech and about racism or, or sexism or whatever, still, wouldn't you want to know who's who's the racist and who's mm -hmm. the sexist in, in your area? Exactly. Yeah, and so when you censor speech, that's actually how radicalism really starts. Um, because then people feel as if they're ostracized because of their thoughts and they actually take more extreme positions before mm -hmm. that. There's been a lot of studies that show that that a lot of the anti-free speech policies in Europe have led towards a lot of the more radical tendencies of, you know, of the uh, more uh, radical Islam, which is a big, right. a big issue. But actually, when you actually try to suppress on free speech and you try to just clamp down what people can say, um, it actually encourages people to take a more radical position because it's a way to fight back against the you know, totalitarian system. I can get into that deeper, but it's kind of a nuanced point that I know you would appreciate. Right, of course. But, yeah. but when people allow all opinions and perspectives and beliefs to be heard, and there's communication and dialogue, someone who might be on a more radical position or be a racist, bigot, a homophobe, then they actually have to defend their positions in an open forum. They have to hear other perspectives and points of view. And unless they're like mentally unhinged, which, you know, might happen at times, but if they're act, you know, they actually try to defend these undefendable positions, let's say they're racist, bigot, a homophobe, truly, deep down, they, they will lose. They will lose to someone who has ration, you know, rational thinking, and maybe they'll change their opinion. You know, that's what free speech Perhaps. does. And if, if nothing else... Um, if maybe you can't change their opinion, but certainly you can influence the opinions of others around you That's and, right. and others um, who is who's listening to you, especially if it's in a setting of a, of a debate, which uh, just baffles me when I see uh, certain colleges and certain universities uh, banning speakers and banning uh, individuals, banning movies, as if like 
as if the real the real world isn't just full of these kind of people anyway. That's right. And when you shelter them, you're just saying that no, they don't exist, and then you get a slap in the face whenever. Well, hello, here they are. Well, especially you know, it's not even fringe content. I mean, it's the Great Gatsby that they're banning at some of these schools. Unbelievable. And well, you know, that's that's of course what it would start out as, and then eventually it just becomes the stuff that. You know, you and I would think is just ordinary mainstream. content. Yeah, yeah, very mainstream. The Great Gatsby, I'd say, is ordinary. Content. Right, it's right, crazy. of course. And so, you know, it kind of shows how things can quickly spin out of control, and you know, everything the left touches, almost, ha- you know, always immediately happens. Eventually, happens that way. So, uh, the same can be said for the anti-free speech stuff happening on campus. Okay. Um, I really want to know, shift slightly, shift gears a, a little bit. I really want to know. Uh, from you personally, of course, you started Turning Point whenever you were um, 18, right? Right that's out of high school. Right out of high school. Um, and I think that that's a bit of a story of, of empowerment um, because it completely defies the norm. Um, the norm is just you go to college, you get your degree, uh, you check off all your boxes, you get a job, you retire, you're done with life. But you said, I'm not going to follow that same structure that everyone else has. Um, and I think that a lot of people want to think that that's possible, mm-hmm. you know, because that's something uniquely American. That's, that follows uh, quite in line with, with the American dream that it's, it's not, you know, a, a piece of paper that determines your future. It's, it's your ambition and, and your drive and, and what you really want in life. Um, what do you say, if, I, if, if you could tell a little bit about, about your story and then tell me what you would say to people who look at someone like you and say, that's really cool, I really wish I could do something like that. Well, I appreciate that, thank you. And you know, I, I got very lucky and I, I started this organization June for the 2012. I, I believe it you know, was a God thing, how a lot of things, these things came together and it's mm-hmm. unbelievable what's been created. And, you know, just finding these young leaders and um, just looking back, it's just been four and a half years now in December, going into a new year. It's going to be our five-year anniversary in June. Wow, that's great. It's just unbelievable yeah. to see how, and then Caleb, you were there early, you know. And, oh, of course, yeah. And you, you stood by us and you did great work and still do. And, you know, we were happy to have you, know, you part of the original founding parts of this organization and movement. Um, but, hey, you know, if you want to do something, age is not a barrier. Always understand that. Um, lack of a diploma is not a barrier. Um, I've been in rooms that I just don't belong in, I'll be honest with you, where there's nothing but billionaires or senators or um, international diplomats. And right. I'm like a 22-year-old kid, yeah. right, with a, with a national student organization. And you just get there by pushing um, in a good way, but by being relentlessly optimistic about what your vision can attain. And don't allow people that want to see it go away get in your way. And that sounds very cliche. It but, does, yeah. But when you until you but experience exactly, it, exactly, right, right. Until you live it, right. Um, and you know, it when you start to go through a lot of these moments, you know, a lot of movies start to make a lot more sense almost. Um, however, it, it's really interesting just seeing this conference here at West Palm Beach and seeing it from last year to this year. The growth has been unbelievable. And just seeing our, 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 you know, I look around the room and I get emotional and I see like Joanna Rodriguez and Morgan that were like once attendees are now like running the show. 
right? How cool is that, you know? And I see Tim and, and Derek, who were once activists, like just super specificity, and Caroline Craig, who was an activist chapter leader that we met on Twitter and got involved now as a staff member. That's so cool, you know, that that we've just, we've gone beyond just like, hey, you know, we're going to do some fun stuff on campus, hand out some signs. Like, we're a, we're a real fighting machine. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at a room here, and we had a chapter leader summit there today. And we had like 120 kids there. It's unbelievable, you know? Oh, yeah. And just like, these are chapter leaders and officers. It's like, wow, this is really, this is really something. And, you know, it's easy to become detached from what you're really accomplishing at times. And, you know, this was a really good conference to see how far we've come and how much we've done. Yeah, and that kind of, it defies the, the the status quo, if you will, a little bit, because uh, the norm is that you can't be successful unless you are already entirely successful or, or you know someone very closely to you that is, you know, entirely successful. So it's not so much about you, it's about um, it's about them, and, and only they can lift you up. But obviously, from what you've experienced and what I've experienced, is that that's, that's not at all the case. Right. You know, you can become rich or successful or whatever your dream is just by what you set your goals that's right. in life. That's right. And, and, you know, Ayn Rand talked a lot about that. She wrote a lot about yeah. it, about how it doesn't matter what other people define for you. It's the individual. Mm -hmm. And in our society, for being a society that is focused on free enterprise and being a culture that has such remarkable success, one of the downfalls of America, one of our biggest problems is how we preconceive what people can do based on their credentials. It's a big problem we have as a country, and we gotta get, we gotta, we gotta get away from that very quickly. Um, because some of the stupidest people I've ever met in my life are people that have gone to the best schools. And some of the smartest people I've ever gone in my life are people that barely graduated high school or driving Uber, and they have wisdom beyond their years, and they're gonna do something with their life, right? And so I think it's an indictment of our culture because we become so obsessed with this kind of um, this paradigm where you have to go to a certain school to succeed, or you have to work for a certain Fortune 500 company. What happens when you know? What, why is that happening? Well, it's because we, as a, I think, we as a culture have stopped appreciating individual liberty and freedom, and more into conformity and just safety and security and comfort. It's a, a bad indictment of the, you know the country. Of course. But I, I also think there's there's so many ways to go into this, but. You know, the anti-elitism was kind of on the ballot here in 2016. A lot of people felt that, you know, that they felt they've always been talked down to their whole life. That doesn't have to be the case. Look, I didn't go to college, probably never will, and some of our best employees never had text, Tim, and I don't think you graduated, right? No. That's that's okay. It's a good right. thing. You right. can succeed. Well, I win a semester. We don't have student loan debt, and we have freedom, and we know what we're doing. It's not like you're just a bum on the street, mm -hmm. and you're more productive, more driven, and more focused the 98% of people that graduate college that are just going to go be, you know, some schmuck in some entry-level firm and they can find a job, right? And that's not to say college is a bad thing. It's okay for some It people. has its place, of certainly. It of course it does. And it had its place, but it's been way... The mistake is to think that everyone belongs in that place. That's right. And here, I heard an unbelievable story the other day from one of our donors in New York. His son got into all the best schools, went a semester at one of the best Ivy League schools, dropped out. Went back to New York, was like, I just couldn't go there, not, couldn't relate, like, I'm too driven. Took a job bartending at um, one of the Irish pubs in Manhattan. Just started to run it like crazy after a couple months. And this guy came in every day and ordered the same drink. He finally asked, like, who are you? 
And all I'm the CEO of a company, I'm one of the CEOs of a company called Blankstone. And one of the top hedge funds in the world. They hit it off, he offered him a job. And now he's working at Blackstone, age 20, right? Couple, wow. This is a couple years later. Blackstone, I mean, like, Harvard MBAs can't get jobs at Blackstone. Yeah. And, like, this guy paved his own path. He knew what he wanted in his life. And so I, I do want to say, like, you know, my story in some way is unique. Uh, I got very lucky, so I don't encourage people just to, like, oh, I'm going to do what Charlie did because... It's a, it's a, it's, I think it's a mistake to try to copy step by step by step what your you know anyone who you look up to exactly because right. because you aren't going to have the same circumstances and you're not going to have the same experiences but it is the right thing to do to mimic That's what right. someone like you or others That's have done right. to to, yeah. so to for example like you know I outline heard, that I heard some guy the other day and I just kind of like threw my hand my head my head in my hands which I'm doing right now yeah. to mimic it because this guy says well I want to start the next Facebook I said great what are you doing to do that said, well I'm going to get in an Ivy League school and drop out I said oh that hurts I said I think you're missing the point yeah, yeah. He's, like, he's like well that's what Mark Zuckerberg did I said no 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 um, Mark Zuckerberg was brilliant got into an Ivy League school got right place right time in Harvard was around really smart people that had a great idea he improved that idea Took a risk, stayed in Harvard, leveraged his very, very wealthy roommate's money and connections. <laughs> then he dropped out of school. He's like, it's like, it's like if you, you have this plan to found the next Facebook. And he's like, no, no, that's what I meant. I said, I, I really don't think that is. You know, right. so if you want to, if you want to embody someone else's success, you know, you see someone you want to be, whether like that person's a Wall Street guy, or Carl Icahn, or whether it's, you know, you know, George Clooney or whatever person. I don't know who would look up the George look Clooney. At, look at their, their personality. Look, at, look at how they overcame adversity. Exactly. Look at what how they acted when they were down. Right. Look at what they did when it was difficult. Right. Um, th those are the moments that will define you. Don't be like, I need to programmatically, like, oh, he went to Stanford, so I have to go to Stanford, and he was on the lacrosse team, so I have to be like, like no, you're not gonna, that's not going to happen. But if you... If you consciously and subconsciously know the experiences you want, it's pretty amazing what you can achieve. And you know what I what I think what something you said uh, just now about their adversities and their and their difficulties that they came and they overcome. Um, I, I something I always say is that what makes America so unique is that you have the right to fail in this country, right. and you can learn from those failures and you can learn from those mistakes. And make yourself better. That's the only reason why America has become so successful and so empowered as it has is because, yes, you can fail. In fact, if, if, if you have a bad idea and, and you fail and then you learn from those mistakes, that's a good thing because that's a growing process. And we're the only kind of country that actually allows that and it's deeply embedded in us. That's and right. we actually allow that for, for that to happen. I could not agree more, and you know I've learned more from my failures than my successes, and 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 that, I think that's for, uh, the case for the most majority of of successful people and successful influencers um, across the country and across the world. I think that's absolutely right, and you know learning more from the failures and the missteps than the successes and the accomplishments. Um, pain's a powerful thing. You don't. Forget it is. Pain. It really is. Um, you forget euphoria really quick. Mm -hmm. What tell me? Uh, what are some of the biggest influences um, that have shaped your ideology and shaped your personality and shaped uh, just some of your fundamental uh, beliefs and behaviors? Well, um, so kind of philosophically, you know, I'm a Christian. Which, right. You know, it's obviously the the Bible and 
couple of key pastors have really been you know, influential in that regard. Um, and I think my Christianity and my faith, I've tried to bring into politics and without any sort of contradiction. I think some ways I've done that, um, which, which I, I'm, I'm happy with. Um, and as far as, you know, philosophically, politically, I'm a limited government guy, so I start at the basis point, Wealth of Nations of Adam Smith, which I think is, you know, really important. From the you, ground up. You, if you want to go really to the ground up, go read, like, Homer and all those other guys. Locked way in. back when. Yeah, exactly. all the way back there. Yeah, which you can. You can actually find the original right. critique of the fallen man way back into even Confucius at times, which is... <laughs> Again, I didn't go to college. It's way too smart. It's way too. That's way too far of a deep. You, so you can't. You can't. You can't look at those kind of things because obviously the university has to provide of that. Of course, yeah, you. exactly. You can't do any of that kind of stuff on your own. You can't Google them. You can't watch any no. videos about them. You no. have to go pay thirty five. Living in the the age of information, you can't do that. That's kind right. Of thing. Well, you have to pay thirty five thousand dollars a year to go do that. So it's just right. But um, so Milton Friedman, I think, was unbelievable. He really helped shape my whole perspective on issues and ideas. Mm-hmm. Kind of just. You know, personal. Um, Malcolm Gladwell, Tony Robbins. People make fun of Tony Robbins a lot. I think he's terrific. I think he's unbelievable. Malcolm Gladwell is great. Malcolm Gladwell is such a great thinker because Malcolm Gladwell, more than anything else, just challenged the way you think of think think of things. You know, really trying to be contrarian and outside the box, but also very data driven. Finding those wrinkles that people aren't always seeing. Um, so you know, Tipping Point. Uh, it's a great book. One of my favorites. Kind of similar to Turning Point. Right. Yeah. Um, a little you know, Blink. There, maybe. Blink, I think, is one of his weaker books. David and Goliath is a phenomenal yeah. book. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, those, those are just some of the influences. Okay. That's great. And and what about like any any particular uh, people or either someone you may know very personally or someone who um, you may have just met uh, once and just had a profound sure. impact for you. Yeah, you know, personally, of course, the adults and people in our organization have been very supportive. Bill Montgomery, Crystal, um, our whole team, you know, are just, without them, none of this happens. I'm just a crazy college dropout. I got on on TV a couple times, right? None of it really happens. Um, But what I I think is most, most interesting about that question is it's so many different types of people that have been really influential. Um, Obviously, my parents have been terrific. Um, but also it's just people that you look up to when you really want to be. And, um, you know, from a young age, I looked up to, it's like, it's funny. It's you know, in high school, the person I looked up to a lot was Scott Walker. Like, unbelievable. Like, I thought this guy was just bigger than human life. I was from Illinois. What he was going through in Wisconsin, I would love politics. Like, this guy's an absolute hero. And, you know, I just, like, he, he's everything that I think we should stand for. Conviction, principles, and ideas, and values. And so... You know, there's, there's a lot of different one, different people like that that have contributed, both people I've gotten to know, people I haven't gotten to know. But, uh, you know, there's a common thread, people that stand in principle and people that have conviction and people, people that unwaver. Unwaver and people right. that care and, you know, people that are relentless and go through the hatred and the vitriol despite all the naysayers. They're, that's a common thread of people that I, I really respect. That's fantastic. So you have a, uh, you have a pretty new book out. Relative, relatively new, yeah. Came out this this fall quarter. <laughs> yeah. Um, why, don't, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, a sure, bit absolutely. So start to wrap up. No, I, and again, this has been great. Thank you, Caleb. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I wrote uh, a book called Time for a Turning Point, which was part kind of reflection on this incredible organization that we've been able to build, um, part just kind of laying out the vision of what Turning Point's trying to fight for, part of the obstacles that we know we're going to encounter and also how we're gonna get there. And so it's called Time for a Turning Point, a roadmap to restore the country to free markets and limited government. 
Um, and I, I think it's, I think it's a good book. I wrote, I wrote it, wrote it with Brent Hamacek, who's another superstar guy. Which fantastic choice. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable uh, guy. Yeah, guy. absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievably smart. Yes. And, and so that's another guy who has just, you know, he's someone that I would say people just overlooked him his whole life. Right. And he's brilliant and he has a way to look at things analytically and critically. And from the first time I met him, I said, this guy is one of the smartest people I've ever met. So look, guy that just, you know, was... Small, I had the small, same reaction whenever right, I small whenever business I consultant, right? Suburbs. You know, he's not a Fortune 500 guy. He, he, he's smarter than almost every person I've met in college. Every one of them. And he has a way to analyze and be critical about issues and just so process information so quickly and flip it and turn it. And I just said to myself, you know, this is someone I really think I want to work with and just some projects. And we hit it off immediately. So that goes back to the earlier thing we were talking about, right? That you know, some of the smartest people you ever meet are not the people that necessarily go to the best schools and go through that career. It's not with the highest qualifications. That's but right. It's, they, not just, it's not who has right. the most stuff on their resume or right. the biggest credentials. Um, that's fantastic. Uh, where can you find that at? Uh, just Google Time for a Turning Point. Um, Charlie Kirk. And we made a bestseller. We're really pleased about that. That's great. Um, yeah. So, um, so I assume it's like on Amazon. and On Amazon. Right. So if you listen to this before Christmas, you can have it as a stocking stuffer. Yeah. Um, Charlie, uh, thank you very much for, for coming on. Thank you, Caleb. I just want to say again, I love what you're doing here. I thank think you. you're a true patriot. We thank agree you. on so much. And, um, you know, I see you as being the, you know, the millennial pro-liberty Rush Limbaugh one day. <laughs> and I mean Rush Limbaugh in the most endearing sense. Right. The influence and the I magnitude yeah. and, you know, America's... And, you know, well, that would, cer- that would certainly be uh, that would certainly be a, a goal to, to, you, you, to set myself. You towards. truly believe in these issues and these values, and I see that, and it's rare. And uh, you know, thank you for. Well, you know, you know, uh, yeah. Recently, um, I did an episode on uh, capitalism and the key to success, and and I think that um, uh, I, I just finished reading this book. It's called The Go Giver, and um, it's it's all about the key to success is. Is you can have all these business models and all these plans, but the true key to success is giving and having authenticity. That's right. I could not agree more. And um, I, I've heard of that book. I haven't read it, but I can tell you firsthand that if you're not producing value for somebody else, that's absolutely correct. Then you're yeah. not you're not going to be able to get anything. Yeah. So, uh, Charlie, thanks. Thank again. you, Caleb. Why don't you give us a, a social media? Absolutely. Um, you can, Follow me on Twitter at CharlieKirk11. Um, I will try to follow you back. Um, you can check out our website, www.tpusa.com. Um, or you can follow my Instagram, which needs a little bit of a follower boost, CharlieKirk1776. All right, fantastic. And you can follow me at Caleb Franz. Uh, be sure to follow the show, Liberty at Liberty. Um, and subscribe to us on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. So you'll stay with us throughout the rest of, of 2017, and we will have a fantastic year uh, this upcoming year. Great plans uh, scheduled, and I can't wait to talk about some more in future episodes. So stay tuned, and uh, we'll see you then.